Hey, welcome everyone. It's so good to have all of you with us, whether you're joining us online or at one of our locations. We're honored to have you. And I want to welcome all of you who maybe are joining us for the very first time today because you're right in the middle or we're right in the middle of a conversation entitled Inconceivable because when Jesus said, I will build my gathering, my congregation, my assembly, my movement, it's going to happen and hatred and corruption and injustice and sin and the gates of Hades, death itself will not overcome it. As we've said over the last few weeks, th those words must have felt so unbelievable, so inconceivable to this small group of people listening to Jesus. But the inconceivable, it happened. And we're here today as proof of that. And so what we've discovered over these last few weeks is that the inconceivable happened because Jesus commanded his disciples to do just one thing, to be good Christians. And because the Christians or the early Christians, they took this one thing, this one command to heart. In fact, here is that one command. A new command I give you, Jesus said to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, as far as Jesus is concerned, loving others as he loved us not the other things that everybody has attached to being a Christian over the years. He's saying, no, loving others as I have loved you, that's the distinguishing mark of a disciple. In fact, when Jesus comes along and says, by this, by this meaning, this supernatural, this sacrificial love, he's saying when it's demonstrated in authentic ways in families and in classrooms and neighborhoods and in workplaces, he says this gets the attention of a watching world and it helps people to realize how much God really loves them. It's a love, as we learned last week, that never draws a line and says, okay, I've given enough and I've served enough and I've sacrificed enough. I don't have to do any more. See, this love is a love that lives or gives without limits. Now, the danger or the temptation, whenever we hear a talk or a conversation on love, we think something like this. Well, I'm pretty good at loving. So, so this doesn't really apply to me. Now, I'm not perfect at it. I understand that. But compared to other people I know, I'm just as loving as they are. So I just want to warn you. If you've been holding on to this notion that you're pretty good at this. Now, one of the ways that you know that you've been holding on to this notion that you're pretty good at loving is if you've ever compared yourself to say, well, I love better than most people in the church love, or, or if you've ever minimized the church because you go, well, I love people better than people in the church do, or you've ever minimized other people that consider themselves Christians and, and you kind of see yourself as superior and other people infer as inferior when it comes to this love thing? Well, you need to hold on today because today is going to burst all of our bubbles that any of us are better than anybody else because we, what we will realize is the standard is not other people. The standard is Jesus and the standard is so high that we have so far to go when it comes to loving as Jesus loved that we don't even have time there's not even an opportunity for us to compare ourselves to other people. 
Because what we're going to look at is something that Jesus says that takes love way beyond what's normal or acceptable or reasonable as far as most people are concerned. I mean, this kind of love that we're going to be talking about today, it takes comparison totally out of it because it's a kind of love that only God can help you to do. So if you want to read along in your Bible or your electronic device, we're going to read from Luke chapter 6. Now, a little bit of context for this conversation is when Jesus is talking, he's talking to this large crowd of people who are all over from all over the region who started to follow him, his ministry, his miracles, and his teaching. I mean, there's literally thousands of people there, and they're excited to follow this new rabbi and, and get on in on this, this new movement that's kind of becoming the rage all over Judea. So Jesus, he gets everyone's attention, and he begins to explain them. Don't miss this. He begins to explain to them the values and the lifestyle by which he expects his disciples to live and love. And you need to understand, this standard, it's so much higher than anything that they expected, and it's so much higher than anything that we're capable of, that when you really grasp this, you will never compare how you love to other people. You will understand, say, wow, I still have some growing to do because I'm not loving like Jesus. In fact, notice what Jesus says starting in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. He says, but I tell you who hear me, literally everybody who considers themselves a follower of Christ, those of you who are listening, that would be all of us. He says, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Now, if you and I were communicating to a crowd of people, we most likely would have let off with something a little bit easier and just kind of moved into this over a period of time. But Jesus just lays this out. He just puts it right there. Jesus says, since love is going to be the distinguishing mark of whether you're a disciple of mine, he says, you must love your enemies. Now, you have to understand that whenever Jesus used this word enemies with this crowd, they were not thinking about the mean girl in high school who mocked them or the guy who kind of bullied them. No, when Jesus used this word enemies, they immediately thought of the Romans who had come in and occupied their country, killed some of their family and friends, taken their land and their wealth. So to look at people who were living under that kind of oppression, and say, love your enemies, that seems so drastic and so extreme. And quite honestly, it could have felt maybe just downright insensitive and maybe unkind to the people who have suffered so much oppression from the Romans. Now, some of us, when we hear it described that way, we think, well... I really don't have any enemies that way, so maybe what Jesus is saying doesn't apply to me. But the reality is we all have enemies. In fact, here's a definition of what an enemy is. An enemy is a person who feels hatred for, fosters harmful designs against, or engages in antagonistic activities against another. So, just a question for you. Do you know of anyone who feels hatred for you? 
And some of you might sit there and say, well, hatred's a strong word, so maybe think about it this way. Do you know anyone who fosters harmful designs against you or engages in antagonistic activities against you? Now, most likely, as we read these last two parts of the definition, you've got some people who are coming to your mind. People who've kind of been out to get you or people who tried to discredit your name or tried to hurt you in some way. In fact, let's just make this really, really practical. Who are the people that you try to avoid mentally or physically? Or maybe they even try to avoid you. In other words, when you see them or when you think about them, you want to get away from them in your mind or you want to walk away from them as fast as you can. I mean, think about it. It's the guy at work who tried to sabotage you so that he could get the promotion or the ex-spouse who's out to smear your name or discredit your name so that he can have custody of the kids or the stepmom who's never liked you because she thought you got between her and your dad or the guy who was your best friend and, and then he stabbed you in the back for some dollars or the man who slept with your wife. See, they're the people that Jesus says, you're expected to love, which when you say it this way, that just seems crazy. Surely he doesn't really mean love them when he says to love your enemies. Maybe, maybe he just means don't hate them because maybe I could handle not hating them if I just had a little bit of time. But Jesus says, no, I, I want you to love them. And so Jesus gets very specific and he paints this very clear picture of what loving them looks like. He goes on, he says, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Now, he's not just talking about refrain from doing bad when you see them. This is a person who's hated on you. They, they spoke in hateful things toward you. He says, so you don't get credit for having enough willpower not to kill them. Jesus says the way that you love your enemies is that when you have an opportunity to do good for them, you do it. You, you surprise them with your act of kindness. And, and then he goes on, he says, not only do I want you to do good to those who hate you, but I want you to bless those who curse you. In other words, while they may wish bad on you, what you do is you wish good on them. But then he takes it even a step further and he says, pray for those who mistreat you. They, they have acted in a very diminishing way, hurtful way for you. And some of you say, well, I've got this prayer thing down. I'm praying for my enemies. I'm praying God strikes them down and gives them what they deserve. And Jesus says, no, that's the wrong kind of prayer. I want you to pray blessings on them. I want you to pray for their good, not their harm. And then if this tension is not great enough, he gives the Jewish people that are listening to him that day some examples of how to practice this in the occurrences that they experience on a regular kind of daily basis. In fact, here's what he says next. He says, if someone strikes you on the cheek, Turn to him the other also. Now, what Jesus is referring to here is a practice in that culture where someone would slap a person in the face with their, the back of their hand, which was basically a sign of rejection. 
And if that happened, they're saying, I don't love you. I don't accept you anymore. I reject you. Now, we don't do that practice in our day, but we do know what it feels like to be rejected. It feels like a backhand whenever you are rejected. I mean, to be able to show love when you feel rejection to that ex, whether it's that ex-boyfriend or that ex-girlfriend who decided that you weren't good enough for them or that ex-spouse who decided that somebody else was a better option than what you were or that ex-boss who decided to fire you or that ex-friend who betrayed you. See, every one of us, we have some exes in our lives who have rejected us. We have felt that backhand of rejection. And Jesus says, when you feel the rejection, don't do what naturally comes. Don't retaliate. Instead, he says, I want you to turn the other cheek, which simply means you keep being loving toward that person and you don't let that rejection lead you to resentment. And you know, that's hard, isn't it? It's really hard because down deep inside, we all know that opens us up to being hurt and rejected again. But Jesus is saying, that's part of the price of love. In fact, Jesus goes on and he says it this way. He says, if someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. The point being that Jesus is making is you're not exempt from helping people in need just because they're your enemy. See, when you have a chance to meet a need, he's saying you meet that need whether the person likes you or doesn't like you. Because see, love, Jesus says, it gives generously without finding fault. And then Jesus says something else here that we've all heard and we want everybody else to live out when it comes to us. We just don't like it when it comes to other people. We don't like living this out. He says, I want you to do to others as you would have them do to you. So Jesus is basically saying, I know you don't like the sound of this loving your enemy thing, but he's saying, if you're a follower of me, You're not held to the standard of what other people do, of of comparing yourself to how other people love. No, you're called to be a disciple who loves the way God has loved you. And anything less than that, it's just not impressive. In fact, Jesus even says that this way. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But you know, this is the problem. This line or this idea, this thought, line of thought is the problem we all have. We we think that if we are as loving as the people who love us and we're doing fine, or we think if we're loving as other people, then we're doing fine. But Jesus is saying, no, they're not the standard. Nobody else on planet earth is your standard for love. Only Jesus He's calling us here. Don't ever compare yourself to anyone about how you love. Compare yourself only to Jesus. And basically what Jesus is saying, yeah, you can go around saying, well, I love people better than this person does, right? I love people better than these people in this church do. He says, yeah, you can say that. Congratulations. So is sinners doing that as well. 
That, that's not what is impressive to God, not at all. He says, why are you even bragging about that? Even people who don't follow God or live by his values, they even love people. He says, so why would you compare yourself to other people? And then he goes on, he says, and if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. So giving to somebody that you know is going to repay you, that's not going to cost you anything, or it doesn't set you apart in any kind of way. Like that's what anybody would do. And so Jesus, again, he just reiterates his message one more time, and he's establishing this much higher standard of love, which calls us not to compare ourselves to anybody but to Jesus. He says it this way, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And then he says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. In other words, Jesus is saying, if, if I haven't convinced you how important loving others as I have loved you, let me just remind you, you have a heavenly father who has been merciful to you. He's been loving to you. You have a God who is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And at one point you were in that camp. And if you don't do this kind of love for any other reason, do it for this one. And that is you love your enemies because as an enemy, you were loved. In other words, every time you are tempted to resent or retaliate or seek revenge, just remember that you were once on the other side. You were once the offender, openly hostile toward God. But just because you chose to be his enemy and hurt him and with your sin, God didn't retaliate. No, what he did is he sent his one and only son to die on a cross, bear the cost of your sins and misdeeds so that you could be forgiven. See, someone had to pay the debt and suffer and Jesus chose to do that. That's how high the cost of love is. And you might be thinking, well, to love my enemies like that, that would just cost me way too much because you don't understand how much I have been hurt, how much they've taken away from me. They owe me. They took something from me and you are absolutely right. They do owe you and it does cost, which is why the only way you can love your enemies is when you choose to do this one thing, and that is forgive. You choose to forgive. Now, what is forgiveness? Let me give you a definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is bearing the cost of someone else's misdeeds yourself. It's saying this, you do owe me, but I'm canceling that debt. Now, is that fair? No. Does it mean you have to pay the price for their bad behavior? Absolutely. But somebody always has to pay or bear the cost of the damages done. It doesn't just vanish. When, when there's a damage done or harm done, it doesn't, just damage, or it doesn't just vanish into thin air. And see, the hard part is when it comes to the damage that people have done to you, 
it's not so easy for them to repay when you really stop and think about is it? I mean, how can they make up for robbing you of your innocence or your security or your ability to trust people? How can they pay you back for taking your dreams, your hopes, your reputation? See, those kind of things, they can't be paid back. But just because you can't put a price tag on how much it really costs you, emotionally, relationally, in your life, it doesn't mean it isn't a debt. So when it comes to your enemies, when it comes to anybody who's hurt you, there are really only two options that you really have in this life. One option is this, is you can try to make them suffer. But you know, the irony of this approach is their suffering, what it does is it leads to more suffering for you, which begins to lead to a life of bitterness. Because see, you'll never feel like, if, if you're all about making them suffer, you'll never feel like that justice is served. And here's what will happen. If you're not careful, if you go down this path, we're going to make people pay for what they've done to me. We're going to, I'm going to make them suffer. What will happen if you're not careful, you will end up with a bias against anyone who is like the person who hurt you. See, you'll end up with a bias toward all men or all women or all people of a certain race. That, that's one option. But I'm just going to tell you, this option doesn't actually help you. The other option is... You forgive. In other words, you choose to absorb or cancel the debt. Now, here's the thing. This leads to suffering too because it is so, think about this. It is so antagonizing not to lash out and retaliate and to try to make them suffer. No, you suffer because you're choosing to take the full weight and the full cost of what they did completely on yourself. But you know what the difference in these two choices are? Is this second choice, this second road, it leads to freedom. And here's why. Because every time you choose to forgive, and please hear me, forgiveness is a choice that you're going to have to make a lot. But every time you choose to forgive, the emotion and the anger and the desire for revenge, it subsides a little bit more every time. And even though you're having to grant forgiveness long before you feel it, what happens is these emotions over time, they do start going away. But you know why? Because every time you choose to forgive, you're cutting off the fuel that feeds those, those emotions. And what happens is you ultimately end up being free. Now, here's my question for you. And this gets really practical at this point. Who least deserves your love but needs it the most? Who's the enemy that you need to forgive? For some of you, it's a parent that hurt you. So hearing us talk about this forgiveness today and loving our enemies, it has stirred up so much anger. Why in the world would God ask you to forgive them? Because God knows it's not just for their sake that you forgive, but it's also for yours because see it's how you find healing so my encouragement to you is why not start the long road to freedom and forgive 
For, for others of you, it, it's not a parent. It's another person from your past. It's a boss. It's a coach. It's a teacher. It's a former friend who said or did something, and you just never let go of it. It was so hurtful. It was so damaging, and you just never let it go. And, and God has brought them to your mind today because today is a day that you need to say, I'm going to cancel their debt. For, for others of you, this is really, really tough because it is so, so personal. It's a spouse who cheated on you. It's a parent who abandoned you. It's a person who assaulted you. It's a guy who raped you. It may be the guy who got your teenage daughter pregnant or the drunk driver who took the life of your friend and you were so angry with them and so rightfully so. And the whole time we've been talking, you just keep thinking, it's not fair. It's just not fair. I'm not letting them off the hook. They have to pay. And guess what? You're right. And here's the thing. If they haven't already, they will one day suffer the consequences of their actions. But vengeance, it's not up to you or to me to deliver. We have to leave that up to God, and, and our path is to forgive. So that's what Jesus says it takes to truly be a good Christian, is someone who loves their enemy to the point that they choose to suffer the damages done to them and forgive and find freedom. You know, when we hear that, it, it's so much easier to take a hashtag four sticker and put it on the back of your car over what Jesus said. I mean, this is absolutely tough. This is so tough that when you really, really understand what Jesus is calling us to do, you never could compare yourself to another person in how well you love. You'll never say, well, I love better than this person or I love better than this person because the struggle to love our enemy, it is so great. And Jesus is the standard. He's the only one who's ever got it right. But I'm telling you, it's the best thing that you can do for you. And it's, here's why. It's not only the best thing that you can do for you, but it's also what Jesus says. This is how you genuinely demonstrate God's love to a watching world. He said, by this kind of love, all people will know that you're my disciples. And if you really stop and think about it, Jesus didn't wait for you to pay him back. He didn't wait for you to clean up your mess. He, he didn't wait for you to get your act together or prove that you changed before he forgave you. No, 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 no. He loved you right through all your rebellion, even the rebellions you have in your life, even in this season of your life. So you and I, we have this incredible privilege to love our enemies because as an enemy, we have been loved. So today, we're gonna to close by praying for you. We're gonna pray for two things, that you'll have the wisdom to know what to do with this, because I know this can be so, so complicated. And also that you'll have the courage to do what love would lead you to do when it's hard. And in the end, I can promise you, as hard as this is, and in the front end, it'll feel like you'll have to suffer more if you choose to love your enemies because that takes you through the path of forgiveness. And that seems so much harder than taking and making, trying to make them suffer. But I'm telling you, the inroad is so much better. It leads to freedom. And you'll be grateful you took that path because there's no better way to live 
than when you love others as Jesus loved you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you um, for loving us. Thank you for loving us when we were your enemy. You, you went to the cross and you died and you took all the anger, all the wrath of God, the eternal punishment for our sin on yourself, for us, so we wouldn't have to. It's amazing to think about. Not only did you physically experience a level of suffering that most of us have no idea about, but God, there was a spiritual level of suffering for us that we cannot comprehend. Thank you for loving us when we were your enemy. And I pray that you will help us as your Holy Spirit fills us with that love and understanding of that love that we'll go out and love our enemies as you have loved us. God, help us to remember that we'll never have to forgive anyone at the level that you had to forgive us. And I know that's even hard for us to comprehend. But God, help us to understand how great your love is so that we can live this out. And I pray that you give us the wisdom to know how to live this out because it gets really complicated. And sometimes we have to figure out where to put some boundaries in place in the forgiving process. But give us the wisdom to know how to live it out. And I thank you that when we ask for wisdom, you promise to give it to us generously. So we're asking for wisdom today. And then we're also asking, Father, for the courage, the courage to do what love leads us to do as we work toward forgiving and going down the road of forgiveness when it comes to those that have hurt us, harmed us, abused us, taken advantage of us. God, give us the wisdom and give us the courage, we pray, so that we can be salt and light, so that people truly will be able to see your love demonstrated in a very dark and broken world. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks that you will be glorified and the inconceivable can happen again. The church can have an impact on the world because we love as you loved us. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I'm going to be praying for you this week because this, this is a hard lesson to live out. And um, it's one that God has been working in me for some years of helping me understand my standards, not the people around me, but Jesus Christ is when it comes to love. And I'm going to be praying for you that we all can do that. Hey, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thank you.